0: at butcherbox.com morningcup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the, we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash offer. all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash offer. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found London. the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religious life. Morning. Cop of murder... Don't act suspicious. It's something you hear in any crime television show or heist movie. If you don't act suspicious, no one will suspect you. On November 23rd, 1910, a man was executed for a murder. A murder that, had he not acted so strangely and fled the country, may have never even been found. So, if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Howley Harvey Crippen, or Dr. Crippen, as he would grow to be called, was born on September 11, 1862 in Coldwater, Michigan. He was a good student and quickly worked his way through school and graduated from the Cleveland Homeopathic Medical College in 1884, intent on becoming a homeopath. After the death of his first wife and leaving his two-year-old son with his parents in California, Holly moved to New York and began his own practice. Two years after his wife died, he married a woman named Corinne Cora Turner, or as she was known on stage in the music halls, Belle Elmore. Dr. Crippen eventually moved him and his new wife to England, where his medical licensure was not sufficient enough to practice medicine. So he worked at a homeopathic pharmaceutical company while Belle continued to perform. Unfortunately, it was his time spent managing that stage career that ended up costing Dr. Crippen his job, and he had to start working at the Institution for the Deaf in 1900, where he met a young typist named Ethel Leneve. By 1905, the two were having an affair. Now, while this may have been shocking to some wives, Bell seemed relatively unfazed at first. She was known to have her own affairs, and after moving to Holloway, London, and taking in lodgers for some extra income, she began an affair with one of the men who moved in as retaliation. Dr. Crippen then retaliated by making Ethel less of a casual fling and taking her in as his full-time mistress in 1908. Everything seemed to be going fine until the Crippens hosted a party at their home on January 31st, 1910. After which, Cora Henrietta Crippen was mysteriously missing. When asked where she was, Dr. Crippen said that she had upped and left him, returning to the United States. Then that story evolved slightly to add that, while in California, she died and was cremated abroad. What should have been an extremely tragic moment in his life was made a happy one when he moved Ethel and Eve into his bed and gifted her all of Cora's old clothes and jewelry. Eventually, Cora's friends grew weary of the doctor's stories, and one of them, a strong woman named Kate Williams, finally notified the police of their suspicions. No one took it seriously, though, until a personal friend of the Scotland Yard superintendent asked for help. He and his wife, a fellow entertainer, knew something was amiss with her disappearance. Investigators arrived at the Crippen home and began searching for any indication that Cora had not gone off to the United States and that something much more nefarious had happened. Unfortunately, they came up empty. And an interview with Dr. Crippen only made matters more confusing. He admitted that he had been lying to all of Cora's friends, but not in the way that they were insinuating. He said that Cora did in fact leave for America, But it was with one of her many lovers, a music hall actor named Bruce Miller, that he made up the story about her death to avoid the embarrassment of admitting that his wife left him for another man. Investigators were satisfied with this story, and with no physical evidence in the home, they left thinking the case was solved. But Dr. Crippen didn't know that. Nervous he was about to be arrested, the doctor and his mistress fled in panic to Brussels, spent the night there, and boarded a Canadian Pacific liner heading for the Great White North. It wasn't until news spread of their sudden trip to Canada that Scotland Yard grew suspicious themselves and conducted four more searches of the home. On the fourth and final search, they found the torso of a human body buried under the brick floor of the basement. The torso had been stripped of its bones and sex organs and showed traces of the calming drug scopolamine. The torso had to be identified by only a piece of skin from the abdomen. The head, limbs, and skeleton were never found. Had Dr. Crippen and Ethel stayed put, the investigators would have closed Cora's case and everyone would have moved on with their lives. While investigators were finding the torso, the pair were crossing the Atlantic with Ethel disguised as a young boy. Unfortunately, their disguise wasn't enough, and they were recognized by the captain who, just before going beyond the range of the shipboard transmitter, had a telegraphist send news to the British authorities. As the ship entered the St. Lawrence River, an investigator came aboard, disguised as a pilot to get a better look at the fugitives. But he knew he had to act fast. Canada, at the time, was still a domain of British Empire. Therefore, he still had the authority to make an arrest. But if Dr. Crippen, an American citizen, made it to the United States, it would have taken a long and arduous extradition process to get him back for a trial. Dr. Crippen was invited to come meet the pilot aboard, and when he walked into the room, the man took off his pilot's cape and said, Good morning, Dr. Crippen. Do you know me? I'm Chief Inspector Drew from Scotland Yard. To which Dr. Crippen responded, Thank God it's over. The suspense has been too great. I can't stand it any longer. With his arrest on July 31, 1910, he became the first suspect to be captured with the aid of wireless telegraphy. Howley Crippen's trial began on October 8, 1910, and lasted for four days. During those four days, pathologists and lawyers argued if the torso could be definitively identified as Cora with as little as they had. Some said it was impossible to even determine if the torso was male or female, much less Cora, and others said that the piece of skin contained an abdominal scar consistent with Cora's medical history. That fact was countered with the argument that there were hair follicles and sebaceous glands found on the scar, indicating that it was more than likely a male's torso. Another piece of striking evidence was the piece of cloth wrapped around the body part. It was a pajama jacket with a tag inside that could be led to a manufacturer. They confirmed that the clothing was made in late 1908, meaning the body had to be placed in the basement after, making it more likely that it was Cora's body and not some leftover piece from a past resident of the home, like the defense was arguing. During the four days of argument, Dr. Crippen showed no remorse for the death of his wife. He, instead, was extremely concerned that his lover's reputation would not survive the trial. Finally, after 27 minutes of deliberation, the jury found Dr. Crippen guilty and sentenced him to death. Ethel was charged only with being an accessory after the fact and was later acquitted. Dr. Howley Crippen was put to death on November 23, 1910. And, at his request, Ethel's photo was placed in the coffin as he was buried. With his death went any answers as to the motive of the murder, leaving people to speculate over the years. Some say he was dosing Cora with a depressant or an aphrodisiac and accidentally overdosed her, panicked, and disposed of her body. Others speculate that he murdered her because she gave him syphilis that she contracted from one of her lovers. But something many agree on is that Dr. Crippen was a smart man. And smart men don't murder their wives and leave their torsos in a place that could be found so easily. Especially since the rest of her body was never located. Maybe this body wasn't Cora's after all, but that of a patient in his care. That maybe Cora did flee to the United States and lived out the rest of her life letting everyone believe that her husband killed her. There were enough questions that, in 2007, a forensic scientist at Michigan State University did some testing and said that the DNA evidence showed that the remains found beneath the cellar floor were not that of Cora Crippen, using DNA from one of her living relatives, that the flesh sample came from a male, not a female. Not just that, but the scar that seemed to prove Dr. Crippen's guilt was incorrectly identified. Though these findings seem to prove the case was improperly handled, many think this new scientific evidence is false. That it is a very new technique done only by this team and with a centuries-old slide, making the findings extremely one-sided. Another researcher says that New Scotland Yard has blonde hair found in curlers at the scene of the crime, and that these curlers are even preserved in a museum but Scotland Yard said they would only test the hair for a fee, which in turn was rejected by the investigators as over-the-top. This strange resistance has caused some to speculate that police planted the body parts and pajama top at the scene to incriminate Dr. Crippen and put an end to the very public case. So, did Dr. Crippen really murder his wife? Or did his strange behavior just make him look like the guiltiest man in the room? Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 24th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Hi, I'm Taylor. Hi, I'm Jenny. Are you into ghosts, aliens, or murder? It's okay if you do, because we love terrible things, too. It's why we started our podcast, A Little Bit Grim. We talk about the paranormal, true crime, folklore, cults, conspiracies, some disasters, and every other heinous thing that could possibly happen to a person. It's a little bit spooky. It's a little bit funny. And it's a little bit grim. And you can find us wherever you like to stream your podcasts. And find us on your favorite social media platforms. We'll see you there. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This daily true crime podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching Morning Cup of Murder. I'd love it if you stopped by and said hi. Stay safe. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived.